I just want to just direct you to your Bible real quick. If you got a Bible, you got a phone with the Bible app on it. We're going to be continuing through our our study in the book of Exodus today. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Exodus, go to chapter 12, okay? Sometimes we are slowing down and we're really wrestling with uh, just a handful of verses in Exodus. Sometimes we've got two or three chapters that we're gonna bite off all at once and uh, and today is a little bit more like that. Um, but uh, you can be ready to go when we get there, Exodus chapter 12. So um, I'm a good dad. Um, one of the best things that I do with my kids is terrify them when we go four-wheel driving. Um, that's, that's a sign of a good dad right there is if you can scare your kids just a little bit. And so, but it turns out it's totally backfired. We started so early with my daughter, uh, Leilani, that she actually loves uh, four-wheel driving now. And by the time she was like three or four, she was already in heaven. Now I'm ruined because she wants a Jeep Cherokee that costs like 75 grand that I never, never will be able to afford. But um, we've got a 99 Jeep Cherokee. And then we lifted it and we put big tires on it. It's now my son's. But uh, about three, four years ago, I turned to Leah and I said, do you want to go for a little ride in the Jeep? And she said, only if we get to go in the dirt. I said, you bet. Why else would we go? And so there's a wash out off 89A that you can go down in. We didn't have a whole lot of time. So, okay, we'll go to the wash and we'll just kind of do donuts and have some fun out there. We had done it a number of times before. She said, that sounds like a good idea. And so we go tearing around in the, in the wash. I underestimated, though, one little thing. Just about two days prior to this adventure, there had been a tremendous rain, monsoon-level rain, and it had uh, left a whole lot of water, a ton of water, like quadruple the amount that's normally there. We usually go across a little bit of a creek that had now turned into basically you know, the Amazon River. It had also deposited, no joke, about four to five feet of the softest silt just right over the top level. And so I wasn't thinking about it, wasn't paying attention. Um, I don't care that it's the Amazon River now. Lay starts to giggle. She says, it's her fault. Go for it, daddy. I said, sounds good. And so we gunned it. We got approximately 14 feet into a 60 foot across journey and the Jeep just sunk down right up to the floorboards. And I'm now in silt, in mud and water rushing by. I open the door and it's trimming the edge of the water as I open my door and I step out and immediately sink up to my hips. And so I'm going, oh gosh, we're stuck. There's no way we're going to get out. I've had some work done on the Jeep at Summit 4x4. And so I'm in the car there and I call up Jesse that runs the shop there. And I said, Jesse, he says, don't say anymore. We're already sending help to you. I said, how do you know I'm stuck? He said, well, somebody's already driven by and seen you stuck out there. Somebody's on the way to get you. And he says, now you got to come in and let me do the rest of the stuff I wanted to do the Jeep. You never would have got stuck in the first place if you'd spent 10 grand more. And so 
I, I said, okay, well, I, I tried everything. I got out. I'm trying to put logs under the tires. I, I'm trying to every single, there's nothing happening. Leilani is now on the inside having the time of her life. She thinks this is the dream. The water's ripping by. Trees are, are floating past. Um, houses are floating by. And she's just giggling and having the joy of her life. But we are indeed stuck. I can't go back. And it's much too far and dangerous to get across. And so finally, um, basically, my 4x4 Messiah showed up. And he pulled up on the other side of the Amazon. And he had a winch. And we had to string three or four uh, straps together because I was so far away and uh, pull me through the river that was going over the hood now of the the Jeep. Leilani and I stuck inside. Uh, The sheriff now pulls up and is watching. And now my heart's beating because I'm thinking he's going to be super mad and upset. And they pull us all the way to the other side. We get out. We're super safe now, and I'm braced for all the consequences. And the sheriff looks at me and goes, that's the coolest one of those Jeeps I've seen in a long time. I went, I love this town. This is the best town. And my my daughter says, Daddy, that was our best adventure yet. I said, you're the best daughter ever. And and so I, I wouldn't necessarily do it again, But I I learned a lesson that day, and it was really around this idea that sometimes we are absolutely overwhelmingly stuck uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in some particular pattern of behavior, and there is absolutely nothing you can do to get unstuck unless someone else comes to your aid. Have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been stuck in any way, shape, or form in your life? And maybe you had a friend or a family member come and be a a tangible rescue for you. Maybe it was Jesus. It was the person in the work of Jesus that got you unstuck spiritually. He's the only one that can do that. Have you ever been stuck before? If you have, then... What I've become aware of is there's really some problems that arise when we're stuck. One is most of us never really believe that we're ever really stuck. There's something hardwired into us that's always thinking, ah, I'm not really stuck until you are. And then if you get to a point where you go, oh, I am stuck. The second problem arises, and that is we tend to think that we can get ourselves unstuck from whatever it is that we're wrestling with. And then if and when God swoops in, he provides a rescue, he provides a way out, whether it's directly or through someone that cares about us, my goodness, in those moments, we tend to have the problem of going, you know what? Thank you for getting me unstuck, God. Now I start to believe I don't think I'll ever really need your help again. All I needed from you was in my past or in my present. But going forward, God, I, think I, I don't think I'll get stuck again. I don't think I'll need your hand. I don't think I'll need your help. But the reminder when we look at what we're going to look at today in Exodus is that the provision of God's rescue has 
a lot to do with our past, a lot to do with our present, and a lot to do with our future. We're going to take a look at the Passover today. And the Passover is something many of you have heard about or familiar with. Some of you just kind of know the word or the name or the holiday for the Jewish people. But the Passover comes after uh, all these plagues, these judgments that God has placed on the Egyptian people so that Pharaoh would then eventually release them. God was going to rescue his people, the Israelites, out of slavery. Israel was stuck. There was nothing that anybody else could do but God to get them unstuck. And now he's provided all these means to get his people unstuck, to get them free from slavery. We get up to the last of the 10 plagues, and it's the plague of the firstborn. Every firstborn in Egypt was going to die. And immediately following that judgment, God begins to give instructions to his people. Here's how death is going to pass over you. And he gives them these particular instructions for how to observe the Passover. One, to spare them from this plague, but then establishing a tradition, a ceremony that they are now to observe ongoing. And so we take a look at Exodus chapter 12, Verse 24, God's given the instructions for Passover to the Israelites. And then he says this, keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, why does this, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. The Passover commemorates the moment where the Lord provided a rescue, where the Lord got his people unstuck from slavery and was going to send them on a journey to freedom. But it's a, an ongoing ceremony that he established, the Passover, so that his people and their children and their children's children would remember God's rescue. And he gave them a tangible way in Passover to, to do it, to remember God is the one that rescued and God is the one that continues to rescue. He gave them a tradition and a ceremony because you and I would be likely to forget. Has God ever done anything for you? Has God ever provided for you? Has he ever blessed you? Has he ever rescued you? Has he ever forgiven you? Has he ever extended his grace to you? And then two days later, two weeks later, two months later, did you ever take it for granted? Did you ever forget about it? Did you ever stop thinking about it? Did you ever stop thanking him for it? Yeah, of course. We're prone to that. 
We, we like what God does in the present. We often forget what he's done in the past, and then we neglect to involve him in the future. It's just kind of the way we're operating. And so God establishes this Passover one as a practical in the present moment means of their rescue from slavery, from death, but then establishes this memoriam, this ceremony where they can be reminded, hey, God is still rescuing. God is still providing. God is still going after people that are stuck. And he's the only one that can get us really unstuck in the deepest of ways. But then one of the hugest, biggest blessings of Passover isn't just the Passover itself. It's the foreshadow of Jesus. Way back in the Old Testament in Exodus, we get Passover in the past. And then we, we get it established as an ongoing commemorative celebration of the rescue of God. And at the same time, for the Israelites, it's a future picture of what Jesus is going to provide, how Jesus is going to be the one that will spare us from death and rescue us from the slavery of sin. Super quick, if you go back and you read through the instructions at the beginning of Exodus chapter 12 about the Passover, here, if you're not real familiar, here's a handful of things that God commands about the Passover that Jewish people would still observe today. First, he says, remake your calendar. Start your annual calendar over now. The first month of the year on your calendar now needs to start right now. In other words, commemorate your deliverance. Your freedom is going to mark the start of your year and every year going forward. That's pretty cool. Then you would select a lamb, and you'd select a lamb that was without blemish or any defects. Then you would have that lamb live with you in your household for a few days, and then you would sacrifice that lamb. You would then take the blood of that lamb, and you would apply its blood to the doorposts of your house Whenever then, you can imagine, whenever you'd enter your house or leave your house, you would see that blood that had been smeared over it, and you would be reminded that in your coming and going, that the blood of this lamb was your covering, your protection. You were then called to eat the lamb. You, you weren't just called to sacrifice it. You weren't just called to look at it. You were called to eat it, to partake of it. And you were supposed to eat all of the lamb, not just the parts that you liked. And then Passover was immediately followed with something that he goes on to describe here in Exodus called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that was a feast that was uh, where you weren't supposed to use any leaven or yeast in your bread, in, in your baking. Leaven or yeast was a sign of, of sin that works its way through the whole dough, the whole. And then now, after the Passover and after this Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're now starting your journey of freedom. Death has passed over you, so you can now proceed with real life, not slavery, not life under oppression but start a journey of really living, 
okay? That's the Passover in a nutshell. But it's also this foreshadow of Jesus that you might have already been picking up on, that each of these elements in the Passover were something that were pointing to the future about what Jesus was going to provide for me and you in a rescue from slavery, from sin, and a freedom from death, but eternal life with him. Just like they remade their calendar, you start, your start with Jesus is your beginning of your journey into freedom. Jesus came, and as the sacrificial lamb, capital S, capital L, Jesus, he was free from any defects, any blemish. Jesus was without sin. And then the life-giving blood of Jesus was sacrificed and then applied to us as our covering. And we are to eat of Jesus and partake of Jesus, not just observe Jesus. We're supposed to, to be one with him and not just the parts that we like. We're supposed to partake of all of him. And that when we start this journey into freedom, we should be on guard for sin, that that yeast of sin that works its way through us. Because the life going forward, the enemy is going to want to stop us. He's going to want to gain the ground back that he lost in our life. And so he wants to remind us, hey, you're my child. I love you. I've got freedom for you. And you are no longer stuck in your sin. But be on guard for it, because there's an enemy that wants to keep you stuck. And that the work of Jesus is really the start of our freedom. That's huge for me and you. We can gain strength from the past work of God on our behalf. You can gain strength in your faith while watching him get you unstuck today by reaching out to him, saying yes to him, confessing to him, talking to him, calling out to him. But let's not forget that there is still a journey of tomorrow. There's a journey of five years from now. There's, there's a journey of 10 years from now or whatever God has in store for you that God has in mind also. And the God that provided and rescued in the past, the God that's providing and rescuing tons of you right here today, desires to walk with you tomorrow and provide for you tomorrow. He died, Jesus died for the sins you committed before you came to him. He died to cover the ones that you're going to commit next week. You're already taken care of. Past, present, and future, you. He's made and reconciled your past. He's given you some strength for today. And then he's given you himself all the way into tomorrow or the next decade in this journey. And that's what was jumping out to me in studying this Passover. It provided for them there and then. But it would become an ongoing picture of what God's like for future generations ultimately in Jesus. Jesus loves us so much. God's been loving us since the foundations of the world. He's never stopped pursuing you. 
His heart has never been to leave you stuck. And he knows that the real hope was going to come in Jesus. Well, the plague hits. The firstborn Egyptians are wiped out. Any of the Israelites that did uh, follow through with the Passover and bring the family into the household covered under the blood of the lamb, they were, they were spared. There's some more instructions about the Passover. And now fi- Pharaoh finally says, okay, go, get out of here. All of these times, all these chances that God was giving Pharaoh and in stubbornness and hard-heartedness won the day for Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh said, go. And the people of God set out. And they're going to leave Egypt after 430 years of slavery. The guesstimate, there's numbers in here that say maybe 600,000 men. So we're talking, including women and children, probably, you know, more than double that, a million and a half, maybe two million people now leaving in Exodus. And as they leave, I want to draw your attention because we'll get to the Red Sea next week, but I want to draw your attention to something as they head out, as they finally get to exit Egypt. Exodus chapter 13, look at verse 17. All the instructions of the Passover are done. Pharaoh said, go. And then verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people of God go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Now, as they head out, God directs them. And he directs them in kind of a circuitous route. They don't take the shortest route. One, because there's some danger there. But also, why? Because God says, if they stay too close to the short route, they're going to want to go back. He, He has reasons for taking them on the long route instead of the short route. He knows an awful lot about our hearts. He knows an awful lot about our behavior. And it is this. When we've been stuck and we've grown accustomed to what we are surrounded by and stuck in and addicted to, it's easier for us to stay there. You know that old cliche, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know? 
It's just really easy. You ever go into a place that smells weird and you walk in and right away you're like, oh, geez, what in the world is that smell? And then like five minutes later, you're like, oh, I don't smell it anymore. We get used to bad stuff really easily. Five minutes later, somebody else walks in and goes, oh, my goodness, what in the world is that stink? We, we get used to the disgusting and the icky and the bad and get comfortable with it. And God knows that. They had spent so long in slavery that he knew that it'd be easy for them to turn back. We've got to be honest, right? Like in our being stuck, especially with regard to sin, sin feels good for a while, right? If it didn't feel good, none of us would ever do it. But that's the hook. It provides this surfacey, temporary numbing, and we're all about that for a little while. And when you've had that so long, our hearts become seared, Timothy says, uh, uh, like a hot iron, you know, searing flesh. You become desensitized to the effects of it. And you start to think, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I'm not really stuck. Oh, I could get myself out whenever I want to. And God knows that. And he says, no, I don't want to make it easy for you to get back to where you were. Do you know sometimes God's going to get you unstuck and then put you in a place that you don't want to be and take you on a really long road, not because he hates you, but because he loves you, because he wants to make it really hard for you to get enslaved all over again. He knows it's easy for us to turn back and get stuck again. He knows we'd rather take shortcuts in our spiritual journey. But sometimes the long way is just better. But God gets out in front of them and never leaves the front of the people with this cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Day or night, God is wanting to train his people how to let him lead rather than have their gut lead. Rather than have their own heart lead. And that takes some time. I'm 48 years old. I've been walking with Jesus since I was, you know, 15 maybe for real. I'm still learning how to let God lead me rather than just me lead me. I'm still learning how to look for him and trust him and invite him into every single moment to trust him more than I trust my gut, trust myself, or even just trust the general human wisdom of everybody else. The Passover is a glaring testimony of a God that provides fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. We're on the other side of both the rescue from Egypt and the initiation of the Passover and the fulfillment of Jesus coming as the sacrificial lamb. We've got all the benefit of millennia of track record of God getting us unstuck and watching human beings like to stay stuck and go back to being enslaved. It makes me want to trust God more than I do. Seeing what he's done, what he's like, how patient he is, what way he's made for me and you. My goodness, what a good God we have. 
Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Familiar proverb to many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I wanna just land there. here's, Here's the beauty of that proverb. Here's the call. Here's the invitation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the end tells us what he will do if we do that. He will make your paths straight. He will lead you into freedom. He'll lead you into life. He'll care for you. He will bless you. He will guard you. He will protect you. If you trust in him with all your heart, he will make your path straight. Here's the tough part. I don't know how to trust God with all my heart. And I'm not good at it. The default for me is, I don't know if I need to trust you. I could just trust me. Yeah, I saw what you did with the Passover. Yeah, I saw what you did with Jesus. But why is it so hard and so foreign for us to trust a God with such great track record? I want to trust him with all my heart. I'll be good if I trust him five minutes a day with all my heart. But trust God with all my heart, that's what I want. And luckily in the middle there of that Proverbs 5 and 6, he tells us, gives us some practical steps about how to trust him with all our heart. First one is a don't. Second one is a do. You want to learn to trust God with all your heart? Number one, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't go with your gut. We're in a culture right now where follow your heart is the biggest recommendation. That is the biggest piece of trash advice I have ever heard. The heart is deceitful above all else. It's filled with disgust. You can deceive yourself. Don't follow your heart. I can tell you where that's going to lead you. Don't lean on your own understanding. I'm not saying a lot of you haven't learned some stuff, and, and many of you have some godly wisdom. There's a place for that. What, it, what this is saying is, Sometimes your first impulse should not be trusted. Just because you desire it, feel it, want it, doesn't mean that's what's best for you. Don't lean on your own understanding. Yesterday's advice to Jim may not be the best advice for John tomorrow. You've got an awful lot that you may have learned, but a lot of it might not be applicable today. So Instead of just trusting your understanding or your wisdom, remember, God's here. God wants to be in relationship. So it's it's use godly wisdom and listen to the Holy Spirit. Both and. And when you do that, then you're not just, you know, putting your finger up to the wind, which way should I go today? Or what do I think today? But you're taking the wisdom that he's given you in his word. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're actually walking with him and you're learning how to day to day, decision by decision, listen to him, trust him. Because you're leaning more on him and his word than what's going on in here or here or here. Don't lean on your own understanding. That helps starting you to trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Second was the do. Do acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Do acknowledge God. How do you acknowledge him? How do you acknowledge God every single day? Moment by moment, decision by decision. That's not easy, is it? It's just a reminder that his presence is here. Do you believe that? Does your life reflect that you believe the presence of God is right there with you every single day? Does your life reflect that the presence of God is there and that you enjoy it being there? God, you're there and you're my daddy and you care about me. Not God, you're there and you're ready to zap me. Not God, you're there and you can't really help me anyway. Not God, you're there and you probably hate me. But rather, God, you're there and you care about me. If you acknowledge him moment by moment, when you get up, just like I would if I see my friend Steve and, and there he is in the porch coffee shop and I walk in and I see Steve, I acknowledge that he's there. Oh, hello, Steve. Good to see you. If I walk in and it's just, I've had a rough morning or somebody's just hurt me or I'm wrestling with somebody and I see Steve in there, hey, Steve, I know he'll listen. Steve, I, man, it's been a rough morning and we just talk about it, you know? How do you acknowledge other people, like actual people, when you're working with them or they're in the household or whatever? There, there's an acknowledgement that says, I know you're there and I got to share some stuff with you and I'd love to hear whatever you have to say. We can do that with the Lord and all your ways acknowledge him. And I'll just wrap it up by saying this, you guys. God provided a rescue in the Passover that pointed toward Jesus, the ultimate rescue. But that same Jesus has also promised that he's going to come back for us someday. If he hadn't rescued people out of slavery in Egypt thousands of years ago, Maybe you'd have some cause to be concerned about whether he could rescue you today or tomorrow. If he hadn't sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, maybe you have some concern about him coming back and rescuing his people someday. But every single thing he said, he has come through on. He is trustworthy. And so you want to trust in him with all your heart and have him make your path straight? Then my goodness, then lean more on him Acknowledge him. And so maybe this week, here's a little bit of homework. Get sticky notes or little three by five cards. And maybe you put, write God's name on it or Jesus. Put those everywhere. Put a sticky note on your uh, bedside table. Put a sticky note uh, in your bathroom mirror. Put a sticky note on the dashboard of your car. Uh, put a sticky note on your keys. Put a sticky note on your husband. Put a sticky note um, on your desk at work. And it'll be a reminder of God's here. Oh, yeah, I went to the bathroom. God still, he likes to come to the bathroom with me, it turns out. God's in the car with me. He's in the car with me when I'm driving along. He's in the car with me when I'm stuck in the wash. He's uh, with my family. He's with me. And every time you'd see these places, you would be reminded of the presence of God and you would acknowledge him. You see the sticky note? Hey God, 
my tendency is to forget you, not acknowledge you, but I'm acknowledging who you are. I'm acknowledging you right here with me. Thanks for being with me here in the car. Thanks for being with me as I go to bed tonight. Thanks for being with me when I head off to work. And just don't acknowledge that he's there. If you're thinking something, tell him. Oh, yeah, God, I forgot you're here. I see the sticky note on the bathroom mirror. When I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. God, would you tell me what's really true about me? Would you tell me what you see about me? I acknowledge you're here. I tell you what I'm thinking. And then you listen. Listen to how he might comfort you. And in doing that, it just builds this actual relationship with him. And over time, you'll know you can trust him. And the relationship that you have with him will be so much more sweet than going back into slavery and being disconnected from him. We'll talk more about that next week. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for every moment that you've stepped in and rescued us that we're aware of. We thank you for the times you've done stuff for us that we were not even aware of or not thankful for. Lord, um, I pray for those that know that they have some stuff in their past that they need to be unstuck from. I pray that you would free them from that right now as they confess it to you. I pray that you'd meet them right where they're at today. But I also pray that who you are and what you've done speaks into our future. As much as the Israelites had no clue the specifics of what Jesus would look like, you're already painting the picture of what his rescue would look like, and we stand on the other side of that. And so we pray for what we might face tomorrow. Pray for those that are stuck and pray that you'd free them right now. Use us however you see fit to be a tangible help to them. We want to trust you. Help us, God, trust you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to invite you to take communion with us this morning. We've got the station here and... uh, We've got the elements here, the drink and the cup and the bread. They represent his, his body that was broken for you and his blood that was shed for you. It's a real tangible reminder of his presence, that he's still a God of rescue and that he didn't even withhold himself when that's what it took, that he was the perfect sacrificial lamb that came and laid down his life and took the punishment that I deserved on himself so that I could be freed out of slavery, freed from death and freed from sin. It's a free gift offered to every single one of you. We're gonna sing one last song. You can come forward and take the elements back to your seat and take them on your own when you're ready. And so Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus and his sacrifice. This reminder of your provision for us and your presence right here with us even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our six weeks of summer as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. 
And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Glad that you were able to tune in. Um, if you haven't yet, jump over to restorationaz.org. We'd love to get connected with you, get to know a little bit about you. You can also um, see who we are, what we're about, and um, yeah, begin the journey. And um, if you haven't gotten plugged into a local congregation yet, we just uh, that's something that we really, really value. Um, and restoration definitely does not need to be the place, but um, for you to get plugged in somewhere, we feel like is really, really important. So um, be prayerful and mindful about that and consider that. And um, yeah, we say this every week, but we mean it. Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.